Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, Eric Bilstadt, I am going to get called into a meeting, and it's all going to be your fault. <laughs> it's Uh-oh. A, it's a, a, keep in mind, my, my goal in life is to avoid meetings. That's why I started... That's why I stopped being a lawyer, and or am a recovering lawyer. I still got licensed to practice law, and I just I wanted to just avoid meetings. I wanted to just come in and do my radio talk show, and then kind of go home and pet yeah. my dog and that sort of stuff. Okay. So here here's the deal: you you were doing your newscast. You were doing a, a thing about the the Stormy Daniels, which was the Supreme Court rulings and all that, and how right, right, to exactly yeah. like that. And then as an aside. You mentioned to me, I wonder what's happening with Stormy Daniels now, because <laughs> she, sh- she certainly has had her, her 15 minutes of fame. Right, you know, right. I mean, she was just all over everything for a period of time, and now that's what everybody's saying. What's happened to Stormy Daniels? I thought that was an intriguing question. So while you were finishing your newscast... On our company computer here, I decided to go <laughs> try to track down what Stormy Daniels has been doing recently. Um, let me see. As near as I can figure, and then, all right, as near as I can figure out, um, I, I, currently, according to her Twitter feed, she is waiting to start filming something called Spooky Babes. All right. So I, I'm now curious, and I, I, this is where you kind of get in trouble. I'm like, okay, what is Spooky Babes going to be? And, and that's where I start going down the rabbit hole. And it's like, huh, I don't think these are websites that I'm supposed to be going to <laughs> right. on the work computer. Right. But I, so I don't know. I guess we're going to all have to wait to see what her Stephanie Clifford's next project is. And then, of course, I, I'm on the Twitter feed and I'm sort of reading it. And she she engages with the people, which is never a, a good I, idea. Mm. And she's engaging. And I'm thinking, huh, that's sort of interesting. That's sort of interesting. But for I guess we're just going to all have to wait to find out what Spooky Babes is, is all about. So are you worried about meetings with the company or meetings with your wife later no, on? No, about no, this? no, I, no. It's, it's meetings with the company. Why, <laughs> why were you on this particular website? And my answer is, it's Eric Bilstadt's fault. <laughs> yeah. just, he, he, he had this question that, I mean, and I'm thinking, that's right. You, but it, it, is, it really is true about she has disappeared. 15 minutes of fame. And, and you have all the, these people that are just the epicenter of attention. And it is kind of a reflection, I think, maybe on the short attendance. The short attention span, number one, that we have in society nowadays. And secondly, the fact that if you think about it, I mean, all the attention that that. Well, it's, I mean, she self-described on her Twitter page as, um, you, know, you know, essentially an American pornographic film star. Okay, it's like, why why were we spending all that time talking about her in the first place? Well, I, I know why we were talking about her. Don't forget the president was involved with this, too. But way before he was the president. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, right, right yes. Back Good in, point. Right, yes, right, sorry. Right, yes. Back, wait, right, in, in, before the, yes. Right, before he was the president. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but, right, I, I, I understand the, the whole issue. In any event... For those wondering what Stormy Daniels is doing now, um, spookybabes.com, whatever that is going to be. And I, I'm still not exactly sure how to figure it out because 
it would have taken one more click, I, I think, to, to really figure it out. And I, I just didn't have the guts to take that one more click. <laughs> it's, it's just, um, Gru, producing the show today and always, if you want to check that out on your computer, that, that's okay. You know, just, no keyword for the text line right, on this no, one, I don't no think. No keyword for the text line, yes. So thank you for, for starting that off, Eric Bilstead. That's how we start mm-hmm. off. You're the, yeah, thanks, yeah. That's how we start off the program. If you haven't figured this out, I'm, I'm kind of in a mood today. And I just, I, I don't know if it's a good mood or a bad mood or just kind of a strange mood, but I, I, I admit that I'm kind of on my last nerve with a lot of the different issues that are going on. So let us jump right in. All right. I am not. I am not anti wearing masks in the e- in the era of COVID-19. I, I'm, I'm not. I carry a mask with me when I go into grocery stores, hardware stores, whatever. I, I, I put on the mask. I, I'm not. I'm confident that I am not sick. But at the same time, I, I think that's a gesture of respect to the people who are working in the stores that are wearing the masks. I don't need the government to tell me that. I, I do it. So I, 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 I'm not anti-mask. I'm anti-government regulations that make no sense. Now, hear me out as we start into this, and then we're going to open up the phone lines, and we're going to discuss some of the, the latest mask rules, in, including what they're talking about doing in, in Milwaukee. Back when we closed down the state, I understand in March why, you know, Captain Tony Evers did this. All right, we, we were early stages of COVID-19, and we didn't know necessarily how it got spread, and we were in this panic, and so we closed down everything, right? We, we now are learning how COVID-19 passes, and and I think... When we talk about this, we, we need to, like, tailor our response to how it actually passes. For example, where we, in my opinion, went wrong closing down the state was that we we closed it down without any thought to, are we closing down businesses that really contribute to the spread of COVID-19? We're going to allow 400 people to pile into a Walmart, but we're not going to allow three people to go into a local jewelry store. Okay, that that made no sense to me, and it, and it still makes no sense. What we need to do is we need to figure out, okay, how is COVID nineteen getting passed, as it you know, and, and based on the numbers, and then figure out how you deal with those situations. And for example, destroying small businesses, forcing businesses to close for months where they never had more than a handful of people in them at one time, while allowing large department stores or big box retailers to stay open and have hundreds of people in, it wasn't fair. It didn't make sense. It was a reaction that all right, I get why we had that reaction in the first place, but we, we need to be smarter moving forward. We need to figure out how the disease passes, and then we need to, to go after measures that, that deal with that. So I, I understand, again, the mask requirement going into retail stores. I, I, I have issues with the government requiring it, but that's okay. I wear a mask in that, so I'm not, I'm not anti-mask. But let's look at some of the, this, the, the silly things that are being done. Now, the day day or two ago, Dane County passed this ordinance, which says essentially masks everywhere, including, including in your own homes, if you have guests over, the guests have to be required to wear a mask. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's just it's unenforceable. 
It's just unenforceable. What are we going to do? Have Dane County going around checking on who you have over to your house and making them wear a mask? If you are that uncomfortable that somebody coming into your home might spread COVID-19, then you shouldn't invite them over. I mean, otherwise, if, if you don't think you can have somebody in your house without them wearing a mask, you shouldn't invite them into your house. Plus, n- nobody stands up and says, do we realize what we're really saying? So you have a young man who goes out, um, meets his girlfriend, all right? And they decide that they're going to go back to, he's going to bring her back to his apartment, for example. Okay, he's got to, she's got to wear a mask. I mean, does anybody just like stand up and say, don't you understand in the real world, this, this is just not workable. It's, it's dumb. (laughs) And, And again, this isn't somebody who opposes masks. It's, doesn't anybody think about what the ramifications for some of these rulings are? The People's Republic of Shorewood. And I sent out a tweet on this earlier today. Now, Shorewood is where the high school can't stage the play to kill a mockingbird. Shorewood is where some adults object to having the American flag put out on public property on the 4th of July. Shorewood has now passed a, a mask ordinance that requires anybody, anybody over the age of four to wear a mask pretty much any time they're inside a public place over the age of four. All right. First, and I guess my response would be, all right, good luck. Good, good luck with enforcing that when it comes to, you know, toddlers and things of the like. I mean, good luck with that. The one thing I will say for the Shorewood ordinance, though, is originally the original ordinance looked at inside places and it looked at outside places. And in Shorewood, even in Shorewood, they decided, look, it just makes no sense to require masks outside. So we're not going to do it. Yesterday, Tony Evers, Captain Tony, wades in on this. And he issues an order that says that anybody, first of all, we're going to keep the state capitol closed. And secondly, anybody in any state office building, any state employee, has to wear a, a mask regardless of whether they're they're near anybody, regardless of whether they're surrounded by anybody, regardless of whether or not um, they, they come into contact with people. So, for example, let's say you're a lawyer who works for the State Department of Justice. All right, you've got you've got your office, and you've got your own private office. The rule says you have to wear a mask if you're sitting in your office by yourself. I mean, mean, think about that. Even if there's nobody around that you might be able to infect, you've got to wear a mask if you're sitting in your private office by yourself. And, And some people might say, well, what's the big deal about it? My question would be, why would you impose that restriction on people if, unless you can show me empirically that there's evidence that people have caught COVID-19 from sitting in somebody, from, you know, walking into a vacant office that somebody had had been, or the fact that if I'm sitting in my office with my door closed, the fact that that somebody, you know, in a hallway walking by might have got COVID-19. There's no evidence at all to suggest that that's how this spreads. Matter of fact, we know that's not how this stuff spreads. But because it it feels good and we want to do these things and there's nobody to stand up and say, this is nuts. We, We understand the whole concept behind this, but don't you understand how crazy this is to tell people that if you're going to have guests over that they have to wear masks? 
Well, in that case, like I say, if you're not comfortable with people you invite over to your house, unless they're wearing masks, my advice is don't don't invite them over. Just that that's fine. Just make that choice not to invite them over. And by the way, how do you end up enforcing this? So with with that background and the fact that the People's Republic of Shorewood decided that mask requirements outdoors are not enforceable, are not necessary, and candidly make no sense. Milwaukee is in the process of considering doing exactly that. And that's where we discuss, we pick up the conversation in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Oh, oh, by the way, a number of people are pointing out that this rumor that's going around, I I think it's actually more than a rumor. Um, Governor Evers, who is still very, very unhappy that the state Supreme Court said he didn't have the authority to impose this perpetual order closing businesses and stuff. Um, I would not. The rumor is, keep in mind, at the end of this month, one of the justices, the decision of the state Supreme Court was four to three. Um, saying that, that Evers had exceeded his authority. One of the judges that was in the majority, Justice Kelly, he, he, he lost his bid for re-election. So he's out of office at the end of July. One of the rumors that's going around is that Evers intends to reinstitute a, a statewide ban. And it's just a rumor right now, waiting until August 1st when you have a, a new justice on the Supreme Court uh, of um, a, a very liberal justice, and he, he's hoping that with a four to three, with with a new justice, with Justice Kelly gone, he's going to be able to get a new statewide order to stick. Now, I, again, we'll, we'll wait to see, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that is is percolating in the the minds of of the governor as his administration tries to do everything it can, whether it makes sense or not, in the name of public safety to try to close down buildings and things like that. So we'll we'll, we'll see, but that's something to watch. In any event, like I said a couple of minutes ago, the, the village of Shorewood just passed a very, very restrictive mask ordinance. But essentially it says anybody in a public, inside a public space above the age of four, three or four, um, has to wear a, a mask. Uh, above the age of four, has to wear a mask. Okay, that's fine. Even in Shorewood, they decided that trying to impose a rule for people outside was a bridge too far. I have in my hands the latest Milwaukee ordinance. It's going to be debated this afternoon. Let me read you the pertinent paragraph. Mask required outdoors. For the duration of the moving Milwaukee forward health and safety orders, any person three years old or older who is present in the city of Milwaukee shall have possession of a face covering when the person leaves home or other place of residence. All right, so you go outside, you got to have face mask with you. And shall wear the face covering whenever the person is in an outdoor public space and within six feet of any other person who is not a member of the person's family or household. Now, that's that's down from... It used to be 10 yards. That's the original draft. Now it's down to, to two yards. If you come within two yards of anybody in public, you have to wear a, a mask. So let's let's think about this. If you're working outside in 85 or 90 degree heat, you're, you're doing, I, I don't know, you're, you're a worker 
who's, you know, doing landscaping stuff or something and you've got a couple partners and you're, you know, somebody's filling the wheelbarrow with mulch and somebody else is wheeling the barrel, the, the thing around. Okay. You, as long as you come within two yards of someone else, 85 degree heat, you, you've got to wear the mask that's outside. If you're walking down the, the city street or jogging down a, a street and you pass somebody, just just pass somebody. I mean, you know, I'm walking one way with my dog. Somebody's walking the other way. But we're, you know, we're, we're not on opposite sides of the street. We've got to wear masks because we've come within two yards of each other. Um, I, I suspect, you know, that um, if you're if you're golfing, if you're at one of those Milwaukee count, if you're at a golf course in the city of Milwaukee, you're you know, and, and you're playing with somebody other than a family member, you, you, you've got to be wearing a mask. 90-degree heat, doesn't matter. You've got to be wearing a mask because you're going to come within two yards of that person. Um, jogging, the list goes on and on and on about requiring people to wear masks outdoors. Now, I guess the question I have is where where is any empirical evidence showing that that incidental contact, passing somebody on the street, leads to any significant chance of the spread of COVID-19. I I understand the inside stuff and the big groups, but haven't we been told over the last several weeks that all these protests where you had hundreds or thousands of people that were shouting and screaming and chanting in an outdoor space, shoulder to shoulder, that none of that led to the spread of COVID-19? All right, if that's true... What in the world is the justification for saying if you're walking down a, a sidewalk or you're you're outside and you're having just again you you pass somebody casually that that you need to have a mask? I mean you can't have it both ways. And again, we've been told for weeks and weeks that the protests didn't lead to anything. I understand the inside rule, and I don't want to debate that now. But I do want to talk about outside. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should you have to, should the government require you to wear a mask when you are outside in 85-degree heat on the mere chance that you're going to or when you come within two yards of someone else? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And is that going to really stop the spread of COVID-19? Is that likely to do it? I, again, I understand bar settings where people are going to be close and people are going to be together for hours and hours. I, I understand where that argument comes in an enclosed setting. But outdoors on a sidewalk or walking down the street or you know outside doing landscaping, really? Do we need this? Or is this an overreach that doesn't make any sense based on the science? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I I, I understand the, these mask rules. And, and they make sense to me in certain situations. What do we know about the spread of coronavirus? Okay, well, we, we know that it prime, the easiest spread is when people are in enclosed areas for lengthy periods of time and not practicing social distancing. All right. So I, I actually I understand if you if the government feels it's necessary to impose rules, I, I understand why you would say, OK, if, if you're going to be going into in, if the government feels it's necessary, I, I understand at least some of the indoor mask requirements. Now, some of the stuff I think is not practical, but we'll, we'll put that aside. 
I understand that. Outdoors, there, there's no empirical evidence that shows that COVID-19 spreads by incidental contact of people that are outdoors. So you're going to make everybody wear masks in 95 degree heat. And again, if there was empirical evidence that suggested this is going to stop the spread in a dramatic way, okay. But but nobody suggests that that's the case. We, we've learned how COVID-19 spreads. Why don't we develop enforceable rules that you know if if people follow them will in fact reduce the spread and by the way if you want to wear a mask outside you know fine do that if you're uncomfortable being outside because somebody you're walking the because you're walking on the street and somebody walking their dog might pass you and that person's not wearing a mask well well maybe you need to figure out a way to exercise inside 855-616-1620 let's start with uh, Jen in West Bend Jen you're on WTMJ Good afternoon Jeff Hi. um okay you said it right there enforceable al ad logical yeah. rules um to me, it makes absolutely no sense. Now, I am a three-time cancer survivor. I have an Im- immune system that's kind of, you know, a little crazy. I don't wear a mask outside. I have to wear one at work when I'm inside, but only when I'm out in the general areas. So when I'm out, when I'm inside my office, I don't have to wear one. Mm-hmm. If you're comfortable wearing one, fine, wear sure. it. If you don't want to wear one, don't wear one. It's your personal choice. I don't, I mean, the only thing that this is going to make me do is stay the heck away from Milwaukee County, yeah. the entirety of Milwaukee County. That's the only thing this is going to do. I won't even go near Madison. Oh. It's ridiculous. It's my body, my choice. I'm sorry. Well, no, thanks. Well, and I see that that is also the, the other practical thing that's out there. All right. It, you know, if. If you again, if you want to wear the mask, that's fine. And if you feel that you you've got to be surrounded by other people, all of whom are wearing masks, even in an outdoor setting, even if you're at the park, oh, okay, that's that's fine. Um, but you're going to have choices. And, and like I say, I think this rule is putting up. If they pass it, it's putting up this huge sign which says. All right, don't bother with the city of Milwaukee. And by the way, did you notice the the order? It doesn't have an expiration date on it. That's one of the other things. It 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 runs for the duration of the moving Milwaukee forward health and safety order. So this could be six months. It could be a year. It could be two years. It's and, and given you know the Milwaukee Common Council, this could be potentially a permanent sort of thing, especially if we're looking at COVID nineteen not going away until you have a vaccine, and even then. After the vaccine, let's talk to Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Hi, Jeff. Jim. The first thing I thought of when you said that was, okay, if and when the Milwaukee Brewers start playing baseball, are the teams uh, playing at Miller Park both going to be required to wear masks you during know, the game? And oh, well, you know, Jim, that's a very <laughs> no. You know, you laugh. I, I I can't tell you the answer to that because the way. The way the ordinance reads, it says, whenever a person is in an outdoor public space and within six feet of any other person who's not their family. Now, I guess the question becomes, is Miller Park an outdoor public space? 
I think you could probably make a strong argument that in fact it is. Now I, I and and so yeah, that and I guess the question is if the ball players don't have to wear masks when they're next to each other outdoors at Miller Park, why you know, why mm-hmm. should other people have to do it? Yeah. Can you can you imagine that? Uh, okay, you know, who who I can't tell what uh. that picture looks like. I, no, I thanks for calling. I, I get again that's a that is a question that I do not know the answer to because the ordinance doesn't define outdoor public space. But if the argument is going to be you're outside in a park in the city of Milwaukee, which is clearly an outdoor public space, um, you you need to wear a mask anytime somebody comes within two yards of you. So you're you're trying to eat your lunch on the park bench or whatever, and somebody walks past. The ordinance says you got to put that mask on. I guess if that's what the rule is going to be, um, what does that mean for? I mean, baseball. I. I and again, unless you're going to say Miller Park's not an outdoor public space, but I don't know. It's outdoors. It's publicly owned. I, I don't know the answer to that question. 855-616-1620. And again, see, the, the problem is there's nobody that asks these questions. I mean, all, we, we everybody, we're all sheep. And, and the idea is, okay, we're concerned about COVID-19. I understand that. Nobody wants to get COVID-19. And we understand if some people get it, the outcomes, outcome could be really bad. But but it's this, we've, we've got to do all these things because, well, we, we think it's going to make a difference without asking the question, okay, where are the numbers that show that this particular application of an ordinance is going to make any difference at all? And again, I keep coming back to this notion. I've been told for weeks that the protests where lots of people were out there together outside for hours screaming and chanting and yelling, and a lot of them weren't wearing masks, that that did not lead to any pronounced spread of COVID-19. Which, okay, maybe means, what that tells me it means is that if you're outdoors, the chances of this spreading aren't that great. So if that's the case, how can we justify something that says you walk your dog on the street and you have to wear a mask if somebody passes within two yards of you? Let's talk to um, Ellen and Merton. You're on WTMJ. Hi, I think it's it's ridiculous. I think that almost everywhere you walk outside, you can get at least six feet away if you really need to. Um, I also feel that I am tired of the government telling us and telling businesses what they need to do. Yeah. And just if we, we can't think for ourselves anymore, they won't let us. Well, well, I- exactly. And and for example, I like I say, I I wear a mask when I go into most of these businesses. I, I just think that that's I think it's smart. I think it's respectful for the employees. I also, Ellen, think that every business certainly has the right to impose its its own rules. And if you don't want somebody coming into your business without them wearing a mask. I think you have every right to do that. Do we need the government to require that, though? Because I don't know. Maybe there's the um, now. Thanks to call on. I, I, let me give you an example. Okay, let's say you have the the guy works by himself, the, a, a tailor. Okay, he he he's a tailor, and um, he's in the business. And, and maybe you get like a half dozen people that come in, you know, a, a half dozen people um, that, that come into his store every day, and, you know, tops, you know, and, and, and during during that time, he's going to have some limited contact. But mostly, you know, he, he's there. He's, he's doing he spends out of an eight hour day. He or she spends six hours just kind of by themselves in the store doing their alterations. All right. 
you will have people that will come into the store maybe a couple times a day. Maybe it's five or six people. This ordinance says he or she has to wear a mask all eight hours a day, e- even though they're they're alone, simply because somebody might walk into the, the store. And even if you have big plexiglass shields that are up there, they, they tell you you got to wear a mask. And I guess I'd say, shouldn't the business owner be able to decide what is appropriate and what is not? But I don't want to even argue the, the enclosed, the inside thing. To me, the outside stuff is just absolutely absurd to the extent that it's not, at least in my opinion, based on any sort of empirical evidence that shows that this is going to stop the spread of the disease in any sort of material fashion. I understand why we limit gatherings. I, I, I get all that. And if this were tailored at, you know, any people that are in, you know, gatherings larger than 20 or 30 people or wherever, you know, th- then you need masks in the outdoor context. Oh, okay. I, I could see maybe that's enforceable and you could at least argue that maybe that makes sense because you have these images of all these idiots that are, you know, running down to the, the beaches and, and piling in in really close quarters. All right. But, but the casual contact in an outdoor setting show me the evidence matter of fact I would think most of the most of the doctors will tell you that's that's not how COVID-19 spreads we we know how COVID-19 spreads and, and that's not it but nobody in Milwaukee is apparently going to ask that particular question and again that the telltale sign of how absurd this is is even in the People's Republic of Shorewood they decided to take the outdoor requirement out because I think they recognized it wasn't enforceable. And secondly, they recognized that it wasn't going to make any material difference in stopping the spread of the disease, which is what this should be all about at the end of the day, shouldn't it? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Look. I understand coronavirus is an issue, and I think it's a significant issue. But at the same time, I I think we need to be smart about this. And some of these rules that they're putting into place, at least in my opinion, shows that we haven't been smart about it. We haven't learned anything over the course of the last several months. And we we, we passed these rules that are have no no chance of being enforced, none at all, and that just don't make sense on their face. But we do this in the, oh, well, it, it's public health. And, you know, you don't care about anybody else if you decide that, you know, you, you think that an outdoor mask rule is is too much to ask. I, you know, it's, I'd be interesting to see. I mean, right now, 83 degrees outside, really, really humid. Okay. And it's going to be that way for like the next week or so. If, if this ordinances in place in Milwaukee, the people that are working outside are, are all going to be wearing masks. If you're a mailman, you know, you're walking around or a male person, um, you know, you're, you're, you're wearing a mask on the off chance that, gee, somebody might come out to the mailbox when, when you're there. So you're wearing th- this mask for hours and hours a day. And my question is, again, w- by making that male person wear the mask, are you real? And if they want to wear the mask, go with God. That's great. But by making him wear the mask, are you really substantially reducing the likelihood that somebody else is going to get sick? And, and if the answer is yes, okay, then you make them wear the mask. But show me the evidence that says that that's how COVID is passed. And for the workers, I mean, if you're 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 a root, you know, you're you're on a paving crew, or you're um, so you're working road construction, or you're up on a roof, or you know, fill in in the blank in ninety degree heat, um, you're you're going to have to wear a mask on the off chance that gee, that guy 
the guy next to you is going to come within two yards of you while they're passing you a bucket of nails. I, I mean, is that really how COVID gets pa- gets spread? And, and we know the answer to that. We know the answer is no. So why do you impose that particular rule? But again, we're, we're, we're becoming because we don't want people to get sick and because some people are completely and totally freaked out about this. And I understand it's a legitimate issue, but some people are completely and totally freaked out. We're looking to the government. And so, again, we're we're just saying, bah, because we're a bunch of sheep. And here, you know, do whatever you want. And we're not going to ask questions about whether or not it makes sense or not. Give me restrictions that make sense in the real world. Let's look at what we know about how coronavirus is spread. Let's tailor different restrictions, you know, for that. I I, I understand why they're cracking down on bars. I, I get it because, you know, we're, we're starting to see evidence that that's where that's where this is spread. I understand why we have restrictions on, on large indoor gatherings. I understand why we, we have restrictions on large outdoor gatherings as well. But, you know, wearing a mask when you're walking your dog on the off chance that you might pass somebody at close quarters for that, that few seconds, that, that's that's where we go too far. And like I say to all the people in Milwaukee on the Common Council, even Shorewood decided that the outdoor aspect of this was a bridge too far. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. I have a tweet here, a, a text that kind of shows what those of us who are trying to argue for common sense are faced with. Typical American ranting. What about me? What about my rights? My blah, blah, blah. Think about your fellow American and what's best for them just once. Okay, here's the question. What, what does... What does making somebody sitting on a park bench in 85 degree heat who is essentially by themselves, what does making them wear a mask do for the fellow Americans? And the answer is it does nothing in the real world. It it does nothing. I'm not against wearing masks. I'm not against wearing masks. And maybe you can even, like I say, make an argument in certain situations. I'm just saying there's other situations that make no sense at all. But, oh, we've got to do this to help our fellow Americans, even if there's no evidence suggesting that this particular thing makes any difference at all with regard to to safety. Let's close down all those stores and put people out of work and destroy these businesses because... Well, because like two people might walk into that little jewelry store. Meanwhile, we'll let, you know, 300 people go to Walmart. All I'm saying is let's try to have some common sense here. And, and by the way, when, when we talk about these ordinances and these enforcements and, and the way the ordinance reads in Milwaukee, they would be able, the health department would be able to be closed down businesses permanently. And, and you know, people could be fined um, for violation of this. I don't know if anybody at the Common Council was noticing, but here's the latest story. Last night, 27-year-old Milwaukee man killed in a shooting late Wednesday night in the 4200 block of West Fairmont Avenue. I, maybe nobody in the Common Council is paying attention to this, but I believe this brings the homicide level in the city of Milwaukee for 2020 up to 89. There were 97 homicides in the entire year last year. We are on pace right now for people who are keeping score to have the most homicides in the city of Milwaukee. You're going to have to go back like 30 years 
to have this number. And that's just homicides. That's not shootings, which are skyrocketing as well. Oh, and by the way, did I mention that we have people on the Common Council who are giving in to some of the voices in the community and saying, let's defund the police. Let's cut the police budget by 10% or 15% or 20%. Let's have fewer cops out on the street. So fewer cops out on the street, spiraling shootings, spiraling numbers of homicides, and now we want to start imposing penalties on people who, I I don't know, where aren't sitting on that park bench by themselves wearing their mask. I just, I, I, I ask this question rhetorically. Has the world gone crazy? I mean, I mean, seriously, you look at this stuff and you say, has the world gone crazy? And I understand we want to do everything we can to stop the spread of the virus. I, I get it. That's why people need to be smart. And, and yes, that's why you shouldn't have hundreds of people that are packing into bars and not practicing social distancing and all that. I, I, I get all that. But at the same time, we, we have government that sometimes feels it, it's got to step in and it's got to do stuff. And unfortunately, we don't have anybody that's willing to stand up and say this particular thing that we're talking about doing doesn't make any sense. Is it too much to ask? And and by the way, while we're at it, is it too much to ask maybe to spend some time figuring out what we're going to do about the spiraling homicide rate? And shouldn't we be just as concerned about that as we are with, gee, with somebody wearing their mask when they were walking the dog and somebody else came driving by him on a bicycle? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have now somebody just sent me a text. Jeff, if you read the new Major League Baseball rules, all players must wear masks while playing and practicing. That can't be, Eric, but that can't be, can it? I mean, I'm, I'm watching these, these, they're not wearing masks when the Brewers are scrimmaging. I, I, not all of them. I see a couple of them wearing things, but I don't know if it's, I, I, I don't know if I'd say all of them are. I haven't seen that at all. Well, no, I abs- absolutely not. not no. no, I don't, I, I, but. But some of them are, I, I have seen some of them out there with a mask on. I, haven't I, mean, seen I, I was taking... just watching some highlights from the scrimmage game. And they, and didn't I, have, no, they didn't have masks no. on. All right, all right. I, and, and again, I, but I, I wonder if they passed this ordinance in Milwaukee, would would that apply? Because it says it applies to all outdoor public areas in the city of Milwaukee. And now, within six feet of you, right? Like if someone is... Well, but baseball. I mean, you're, you're, you're next to the first baseman. You're on first base. You're standing there next to him. You're next to the catcher. You're next to the umpire. Yeah, you're, you're you're sitting yeah. on the bench. You know, you're all you're all. Yeah, but they on the have the, they do have them separated on the bench. And those guys I have seen with masks on. I, I mean, I have seen some of them standing next to each other with masks on. Oh well, I'm, I, you, yeah, yeah. The, the players in the dugout uh, or the the coaches that you know have the radar guns. They all have masks. The first and third base coaches have masks. The umpires. But when you're up to bat. I don't think that I didn't see it there, or right, the or, or the pitchers, right? Or you're on first base, and or yeah. you're in the field, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm just, I'm just, and, and I think the wording in the mandate uh, it means if the roof is closed, I think the masks would be necessary then in that in that case. Well, then it's definite, def, that's definite, it's indoor. But then Milwaukee, it, it, keep in mind, it also applies to outdoor public spaces. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm asking this question. I wonder if somebody at the Common Council is going to say, does this mean Miller Park? I'm just. I'm I'm just 
just wondering, maybe somebody should ask these questions before they pass the ordinance. I'm just just saying. All right. As long as we're on a roll. Something that we should be asking and should have been asking over the last several months. Let me back into this. Uh, No, I will give you my basic premise. I think when we reopen schools in the next six to eight weeks, I think schools should reopen. I think they should reopen for in-person learning and then see what happens with a couple modifications. But I I do not believe that we can continue, especially when we're talking about elementary and secondary education, kids in grade school, kids in middle school, kids in high school. The virtual learning, I don't think, is a long-term solution. And I think the school districts should figure out ways to get the kids back into class and then see what happens. And if it turns out it doesn't work, maybe you have to go to plan B. But virtual learning, I think, in general, is a very, very poor alternative. All right, so that's how I feel about this. Our number, by the way, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this goes back to my basic premise about... You know, when we close down the country and we close down the state at the beginning stages of, of coronavirus, we didn't know a lot of stuff that, that we, we know now. So I understand you, you had this, this idea that, okay, we, we're going to close everything down and then we're going to just see how it all works out. Well, we closed the schools down, and I think as a general rule, most parents and most teachers – would tell you that what happened over the next few months was not good. And I, I'm not I'm not faulting anybody for this, but but the teachers, you know, they're trying to do the virtual learning stuff. Lots of kids didn't have computers. If the kids had computers, well, some of them were more serious about this than others. It was a poor alternative for in-class instruction. And I think almost everybody should be able to agree with that. There are exceptions. I, I, I know parents who've told me that their kids just absolutely thrived in that environment, but that's that's the that's the unicorn. That's the one out of ten. You know, getting people back into school, I think, is is important. I also understand that there are I mean, I, I guess there's some potential risks. We so far, I mean, one of the good things about coronavirus is it, it, it hasn't hit young people. It just it just hasn't. And for the handful of young people that have gotten it, the the likelihood of having bad outcomes is very, very minimal. That's what the statistics show. Doesn't mean something bad can happen and doesn't mean that some six year old kid, we, we want him to get coronavirus. Of course we don't. But if you're looking at the overall numbers so far, that isn't how this has all played out. So now we have to decide what do we do with schools? moving forward. And there's all sorts of different options that are out there. Um, There's a number of school districts around the area, Franklin being one, uh, Menominee Falls being another, where they've decided they're they're bringing the kids back. Looking at a story about Menominee Falls, um, they're they're bringing the kids back five days a week in-person instruction. And what they say is we're going to make some changes. For elementary school students, we're going to limit their movements. We're going to have them only interacting with their immediate classroom students and teachers. So we're going to limit their exposure. They're just going to be with their teacher, and they're going to be with the X number of kids that are in a class. Middle and high school students, instead of having like eight different classes, they're going to have block schedules. And I assume maybe that means that the teachers are going to rotate. Don't know. So that 
it'll it'll minimize contact with other students, but they're going to get them back into school. Nicolet, my alma mater, for example, they're not willing to go that far. They're, they're floating the idea of, well, like an alternate schedule where half the school goes on Monday and Wednesday and then on every other Friday, the other students go Tuesday and Thursday. Um, and then, you know, maybe what they do is they send the kids home at, at noon. You know, a good good luck with that, and then you try to do quote unquote virtual learning. Franklin Franklin wants to go back and I think do, do five days a week. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think we need, and I think the schools need to reopen in the fall. I think that, you know, there's things that can be done to, again, limit the movement of kids and to keep the kids contained. And maybe it's one of those deals where, you know, you have the temperature check every time, you know, every day when one of the kids comes to school, you hit them with that temperature thing. Like I got hit when I they did it to me when I went to the dentist yesterday and you check their pulse ox or, or whatever. You can have somebody that, that does that. And I think it makes sense to limit the movements. Makes sense completely. And maybe assigned seats for lunch and maybe staggered lunch schedules. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy, but I don't think you can continue to allow students to stay home and depend on virtual learning for another six months, another year, another year and a half. All right, let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we at least try to get the kids back to school in the fall and and then again see what happens and if it turns out that you have some sort of outbreak at a particular school well then maybe you move to plan b but but don't we need to try to get the kids back into the classrooms we discuss in just a moment 855-616-1620 this is jeff wagner back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I, I think that my nephew, who is about to turn six, I think they mean can't afford to do online learning. He needs social skills and the interaction with other people. Um, otherwise, you know, the, the behavior ends up becoming worse. Uh, Jeff, in my opinion, I don't think we should open up full time two or three days per week in person until the spring term. Jeff, I agree. Um, local school in our area, we were told... Uh, We're told not, um, no student, Jeff, I agree. Local school in our area, schools were told not to fall, fail any students, regardless of how poorly they did this past semester. Well, right, you you know, you you have to have some degree of accountability. And I I understand why we did what we did in, in March, which was just shut everything down. But candidly, I think administrators have had several months now to figure out what we do and that is figure out how you can get kids back in an in-person learning situation jeff don't they realize parents need to work well that's that's the issue as well because you have the parents that are trying to do their jobs and the parents are also trying to be you know, teachers and things like that and some of them are able to do it better than others jeff i agree 100 percent the pandemic 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 had me suddenly at virtual learning with two teenagers and two kindergartners we are lucky to have gotten out of it without anyone getting murdered and let's be real not much learning took place we are happy that our kids schools will be opening in person with few adjustments other than extra cleaning and temperatures and sanitizer um etc and then i have this text laugh out uh, let's see now let me let me get the thing i want to be able to read it 
precisely. Um, essentially, what the person said is, gee, what could possibly go wrong? Let's put the educators and the children's lives at risk. Um, you know, at, at some point in time, you have to balance you know, risk versus reward. It's like, again, we think of it this binary choice, and it's not. It's like people who say we can't open up the economy because a couple people, some people might get sick. Well, okay, you don't want people to die, but you don't want, again, millions and millions of people to be unemployed. You you don't want to put children and educators at unnecessary risk. Of course not. But you also have to recognize that schools need to be open. And can't we all agree that the virtual learning is a poor alternative to that? So how do we work out that balance? Megan in Milwaukee. Hi, Megan. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I'm a high school teacher. Um, public, so I, can I ask you public or public or private? Pu- public or private? Are you, are, you, um, are you an MPS or somewhere else? If you don't mind me asking. I'm not an MPS, okay. but I'm in a large high school. I'll okay. say that much. It is public. Okay, got it. Um, I agree. Virtual learning did not at all meet anyone's, I think, goal. Um, it was really tough. As teachers, we found out like a day before that you know schools are closed. Now we're all online, and so. We did the best we could, and it definitely was not perfect. And I agree that that isn't ideal. I want to be back in the classroom. I miss my kids. I very much want to be back to get the kids back. But I do have some concerns. I mean, we all kind of agree at this point that social distancing, especially indoors, is probably the biggest kind of protection that we have Mm -hmm. against the virus at this point. And I'll tell you that in my experience, in a classroom with 30-plus high school kids, you can't social distance. So the rooms just aren't big enough. It's not possible. Right. Um, so I don't know what that looks like. I mean, are we looking at cutting class sizes in half? But then do we need more staff, more teachers? Where does the budget or the funding for that mm-hmm. come from? So I definitely want to be back. But there are some serious concerns as to how we can do this safely, I think. What Nicolay, for example, is looking at doing is alternate days. So like half the school... Half the school there, you know, like, uh, for example, freshmen and juniors there Monday, Wednesday, every other Friday, and then sophomores and seniors there's, you know, Monday, they're there Tuesday and Thursday and every other Friday. Would something like that have potential? I think in some ways it definitely does because it'll minimize, I I think of them as like the super hot zones, like the cafeteria, the hallways during passing periods. Those areas can get so crowded um, very quickly. And so it'll obviously cut that in half. But still, ultimately, we have to look at what are we doing in each classroom? I mean, there's not great ventilation. A lot of schools don't have air conditioning, things like that. So they're very small, stuffy spaces with a lot of bodies in them and i don't know and especially with masks being a very touchy subject as well will kids be wearing masks will parents support that what does that all look like i think there are so many questions how do teachers enforce (laughs) mask rules i mean because let's let's imagine elementary school that's i was talking about the last hour i mean where you've got these rules that say okay seven-year-olds are supposed to wear masks when they're out in public and i I understand the thinking behind it but i'm trying to picture the you know the second grade teacher or whatever who's got you who's got right you've got 27th (laughs) second graders it's like okay you know put you know put on your mask or you're not allowed to take it off so what do you think is going to happen? Oh, think, I can't even imagine. Do, do you think we're going to be back in school this fall? I think that all of the districts are going to make a, 
a good effort towards it. What honestly I see happening is that we'll be back and that depending on numbers and cases popping up in different places, because obviously the numbers aren't the same everywhere. So every school district can't do the same thing. I do think that there will be schools that have to shut down and go back to virtual. Maybe if there's an outbreak within a certain school or families in a certain community, things like that. So I don't, I think it's going to be a very chaotic year. I think it's going to be a lot of you're in school. Now you're virtual, but come back in two weeks. Let's try this again. Yeah. I I, I, I don't know. That's my guess. No, Megan, thanks for calling. By the way, I I don't, I don't disagree with you. That's, I, I think that's why, I mean, I started this off by saying I think the schools have to try to get people back in, in person. And I, I recognize that that might mean that you have to, if if it does not work out. Now, I don't accept this it's this doom and gloom thing that, oh, everybody's going to die and we will have killed the kids. To me, I, I think that's, that's the kind of hysterics from the other side. I think... You've got to recognize it's important for kids to be educated, and we, we need them into the classrooms to do that. And I don't want to put the kids at unreasonable risk, and I don't want to put the teachers at unreasonable risk. But I think you got to try to get you got to try to figure out a way to make this work. And if it does turn out that you have, I, I don't know, some hotbeds or something, and and you're not able to achieve the separation, and and you see the numbers go up, well, okay, then maybe you have to go to the plan B. But I think you at least have to try. I mean, for you know, for for everybody who's saying, oh, I don't think we could get back into the classrooms. I mean, just I was talking to somebody yesterday just about, like, what do you do with prep sports and stuff like that? I mean, I, I assume that's just completely off the table because if we if we can't figure out a way to, I don't know, get kids into uh, an English classroom, for example, you certainly don't think you can get them into a. I, I don't know into a classroom where they're they're talking about something you know where they're into a sports setting. I just I think you got to try to get them back because I think what we did before, no fault of anybody, and I'm not pointing fingers, I, it just it just didn't work. Jeff, I have two special needs kids. I've done the best I can, but I'm not a special ed teacher with a master's degree and a licensed speech um, pathologist or a therapist or a trained specialist, etc. One of my kids struggles with online learning, and the other can't do it at all. I'm hoping they're allowed back to school. They've both regressed. Um, many kids, many children like mine with IEPs need in-person learning. And, and I think, and it's not just the special, it's not just kids with the special needs that are out there. I, I think, again, there are exceptions. And I know a couple kids who have thrived in the online learning situation, but that's, that's not the majority. And I think we have to try everything we can to get the kids back. And then, again, if, if it doesn't work out, if you've got a handful of teachers that end up getting sick or you've got a couple kids that get sick or a couple janitors that get sick, okay, you, you have to figure out what plan B is. Otherwise, we're going to have schools closed for the next couple of years. And can we really do that? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Producing the show today and always, I, I had a, a life lesson reminded me yesterday, and I know the answer to this, and it just it it reoccurred again yesterday. Another life lesson, and that lesson is, if you've got a problem where something's going wrong, just get it fixed, because if you don't, it's always going to get worse. And you know, I, I just I, I told the story yesterday. It's actually up on on the podcast um, I, for for a while now. 
I, I've had a, a problem with my top back molar on my right side. It was, it was, I, I had shipped, it had a big filling in it. I had shipped it a long while ago, I mean, a couple of years ago. And I just, it, it was fine. And, you know, I'd have a check from time to time. People said it was fine, but I knew something was going to happen after a while. And for the last several months, and I haven't, by the way, been able to get in to see a de- my dentist for a while because they were all closed after March. But for the last several months, when I would bite down, I wouldn't get this sharp pain, but I, it, something wasn't right. And it was, it was just kind of sensitive and I get this little twinge. And then as I told the story two days ago, I'm, I'm home. It's about 3.45 in the afternoon. I, I'm chewing on something and all of a sudden I took out a really, I took out the filling. I took out a big chunk of tooth and, and my, my dentist, painless Paul was, was able, it was, I was, I was kind of like one of these emergency calls. Can you see me? Well, Cal. I'll, I'll, I'll stay late to take a look at this. And yeah, he said, boy, you really did take out a big chunk of tooth, but that's okay. We, he said, you know, it is one of those things when the dentist looks and goes, Oh, <laughs> you know, it's not something you necessarily wanted to have, but it, it was fine. He said, okay, well, you obviously need a crown. And they were, they were able, he was a great guy, came in early. And so I was seven o'clock yesterday morning. I, I had the procedure and now I've got, you know, got my, my temporary in it last a couple of weeks. You know, they'll take it out after a couple of weeks and put in the permanent crown. But, it's been like this revelation because for the last day, and you just have to be careful because of the temporary and stuff, so I'm not chewing gum or anything like that, but I, I'm, I'm like chewing and I, I don't have to baby it. I'm not getting these, these like little twinges or anything. It's like, oh, it, it's great. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had a root canal. I've had two of them. Um, a, a root canal, but by the time you need a root canal, you need a root canal. I mean, your, your jaw is sore, et cetera, et cetera, and it doesn't get better until you do it. Root canals are not I mean, they're not painful necessarily, but they're not a particularly pleasant thing to go through. But, you know, once you, if you need one and you have it done, you, you walk out of there and you go, my God, I feel, it, it's just so great. It's like if somebody's just banging you in the top of the head with a hammer, it, it, it feels so great when it stops. So it's kind of like I was sitting there thinking, you know, this was a problem. I, I should have just addressed it months ago because I knew it wasn't going to get better. And instead of just waiting till I cracked the tooth, I, you know, I could have just taken care of this and I could have just not had to deal with the, the twinges and the pain. And it's, isn't that true about so much of life that you just kind of, you decide, well, I'm just going to let this go or I'm not going to pay attention to this or, or that or the other thing. And, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then once the, the crisis happens and you have to get it fixed, you go, God, why didn't I do that months ago? So, Bottom line is whether it's dental issues or anything else, if, if stuff is going wrong, I just just get it fixed. Take care of it. Do that time and then you'll, you'll find it's just so much better. All right. Let me make sense of what the Supreme Court did today with regard to President Trump's tax returns. President Trump is the first president since Richard Nixon who has refused to release his tax returns. President Trump says he's doing that because he's under audit, and so he can't. There's no validity to that. I mean, just because you're under audit doesn't mean you couldn't turn over your tax returns. For whatever reason, President Trump doesn't want to doesn't want to do that. And, you know, people can aspire, can attach all the motives they want, but he's he's refusing to do it. All right, so what, what happened is, you have two different entities. You have prosecutors in the state of New York that are investigating the whole Stormy Daniels, attorney Michael Cohen, Donald Trump, the, the, the payments 
that were made to um, Stormy Daniels to arguably keep her story from coming public during the election. So you, you've got a, a state prosecutor that is investigating that. He wants to obtain, he's issued a grand jury subpoena for the, the, the Trump financial records and, and the excuse that's given is he, he wants to see if this, there's anything in there that shows evidence of, of criminal wrongdoing. All right. That, that's the, it's a criminal investigation. It is a grand jury subpoena. So you've got that at the same. And by the way, these aren't subpoenas that are being issued to President Trump. Um, what they are is they're being issued to the subpoena is issued to like Trump's accountant and to the um, the couple banks where there were accounts. So th- they're not seeking the records directly from him. They're subpoenaing his accountant or CPA or whatever. The other set of subpoenas is issued by by Congress and Congress. Their purported excuse or reason why they say they, they want the subpoenas is they're, con, they're considering legislation that has to deal with, again, Trump's financial dealings and, and dealings moving forward. Okay, so they say they need it for legislation. So, again, President Trump objects to his accountants and the banks turning over his financial records. He says it's a witch hunt. All right, what the Supreme Court did today is they issued two decisions that have separate rulings. As far as the criminal subpoenas, the grand jury subpoenas, the seven to two ruling where they said that the grand jury is entitled to these records. They said, look, that you know, you can whether or not you can indict a sitting president. That's a whole different story. But you're entitled to the, these records. So the criminal subpoena has to be honored. As to Congress's subpoena, the Supreme Court, again, by a seven to two ruling, said, Congress is a co-equal branch along with the executive branch, and Congress has no authority to compel the production of these records pertaining to the president, who is the head of the executive branch. So Congress was told, no, you can't get these records. Now, that's significant because if Congress had gotten the records, it would have been all over MSNBC tonight. As soon as those records would have been obtained, you know somebody would have leaked them because, you know, Congress, let's, let's be honest, you know, you, you've got the Democrats in the House of Representatives who are, are looking for political ammunition. I don't know what's in the records, but, you know, anything that they could find that they would use, whether it's for to embarrass President Trump, they would do it. So, you know, those records would be leaked. Supreme Court says Congress can't get the records. Um, the the criminal prosecution, the criminal investigation, they're able to get the records, but records obtained through grand jury subpoenas are covered by secrecy rules, which means it is a crime. It is a felony for the prosecutors, the investigators, the grand jurors to take these records and to to leak them. So if they were to disclose that stuff, those people would be committing a crime. So. Those records aren't going to be public, at least and probably not unless there's charges that are issued. And that's not going to be I don't think it's going to happen, period. But if it happens, it wouldn't be for a long time. So the bottom line is, you know, the, the, both sides kind of won in, in a way. President Trump doesn't have to have his records produced to Congress. But, you know, the, the criminal investigators do get them. From the public's perspective, though, since it's covered by a grand jury, since there are grand jury subpoena, 
it, it's not going to be made public. Or if it is made public, somebody has committed a crime. So theoretically, and I say theoretically, we won't find that out for, we won't find out what's in those records, maybe never. But that, that's kind of what the Supreme Court did. If you're expecting to see, you know, his tax returns or something on the evening news, it's not going to happen. If Congress had gotten them, you know darn well it would have. All right. When we come back, hey ho, I won't go. I'll explain. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Brewers are almost back, but first we've got one more look at a Brewers classic. Join us next Wednesday at 6 for the Brewers and the Reds from 2018 in a game that featured 25 runs and the first cycle of Christian Yelich's blossoming career. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers classic sponsored by Dave Dre Camp Heating, Boucher Automotive, Previa, Badger Mutual Chevrolet, and West Bend Insurance. All right. The... Um, Green Bay Press-Gazette did a survey of a 1,000-plus season ticket holders at Lambeau Field, and here's what they found. They, they, asked, they asked whether you, they want to go back to games this year because earlier, I think last week, the Packers sent out a note uh, essentially saying that to season ticket holders that if you don't want to attend a game this year, we're, we're not going to hold it against you. We, we don't know what we're going to do, but it, if you – you're not going to lose your season tickets if you decide not to buy them for this year. So here's here's what the, the survey said. Survey said 54.7% of the 1,200 respondents, 54% said they would not attend a game, a Packers game, in person this year. 43% said they would not attend because of coronavirus. About 10% said they would not attend because of the NFL's decision to play Lift Every Voice and Sing, often called the Black National Anthem, and the possibility that players will kneel during the Star-Spangled Banner, and another 8% gave reasons, most frequently that they would be required to wear masks or that the games would not be as much fun with diminished crowds. But anyhow, you add that all up, and it's around 44, 54%, more than half of Packers season ticket holders saying they're not interested or they don't want to go to a game at Lambeau this year. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit I am surprised by that. My guess would have been that I would say 75, I would have guessed that 75 to 80% of the people would have said, yeah, if, if the Packers are going to play at Lambeau Field and we have an opportunity to attend a, a game, yeah, we're, and even though we understand that there's going to be, you know, different rules and we understand that there's not going to be as many people there and we understand that maybe we're going to have to wear face masks and we understand that there's not going to be the vendors that there used to be. My guess is still, I, I would have guessed, at least three quarters of the people that would have said, you bet, we're still going to go. It's Packers football. All right, 855-616-1620. Here's my question to you. All right, if if the Packers come up with a plan that allows fans to be in the stands, and we all understand it's not going to be like it was. It's not going to be 74,000 people you know, packed in. It, it, if they come up with a plan, it's going to be some variation where may, maybe you have 10 or 15 percent of the of the crowd that you would normally have. And yes, there's going to be all these various restrictions. But even with that, would you go? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I, I would think three quarters of the people would have said yes. Let's start with Jason in Sheboygan. Hi, Jason. You're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Um, my thing is not about COVID at all. I, I'm pretty upset because I always thought we lived under one national anthem and with this new black anthem and with the NFL talking about changing the name of the Washington Redskins, well, doesn't the Native Americans, should they have their own national anthem? Well, well Jason, let me, let, me ask you, let me stop you. But let, let me ask you that. Does that, does your, the fact that you don't like that, would that really stop you from from going to a Packers game if, if you had tickets and you could be? Would, would, that, would that be the... Well, that would 100%. Say Correct. Really? Okay, thanks for calling. Interesting. I, I, you know, interesting. I, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I guess I, I have feelings on, I, I have opinions on the kneeling for the anthem and things like that, but at the same time, it, if I wanted to go to a Packers game, I don't think that would be the issue that stopped me from going. Um, but here's another text, Jeff. Um, I, uh, those greedy, and I can't use the word that he uses, will never see another dollar from my pocket. One national anthem, not multiple national anthems. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Jeff, dot, 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 I will not even watch any NFL game again because of the anthem issue and letting the players kneel. Interesting. First caller, first three texts, I'll say they're not going back, and it's the anthem issue. Uh, let's talk to Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. I, I am a season ticket holder. It takes me three and a half hours one way to go to every game. I have inside club seats. But COVID's one thing. But, again, I have to agree that the, the protesting, that sets up my game right there. If you're going to do that, besides restrictions of the COVID, the joy is gone. The fun is gone. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think that's what the players would have done years ago, especially when Lombardi was around. Oh, no, no. But, I, but it, it, it's, it's different way. times. So, but, but again, for you, it's the, the COVID is a concern, but the, the whole anthem issue is that that's really a, a bigger driving factor. Uh, truthfully, it is. Truthfully, it is. Okay, I appreciate. It. Thanks and, for calling. No, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I just, huh? I, I guess, I, I guess I understand. I understand why. People feel strongly about that issue, and I really I don't want to kind of get off on that. It's I, I just it's, I'm more concerned. I'm more interested in would you go or wouldn't you go? But it is interesting to me that that's that's a driving force behind a lot of people saying they're not going to go. Let's talk to Kelly in West Bend. Kelly, you're in WTMJ. Hi Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Hi Kelly. So my husband and I are gold season uh, season ticket holders, and we've already decided that we're going to try to sell our tickets this year if we're able to even use them. But it's a combination of things. It's I, I you know certainly I don't want to have to go to a game wearing a mask, and right. um, that's just a personal preference. I think it takes something away from from the enjoyment of the game. All crowd, you know, limiting the crowd, it kind of takes away from the whole. Ambiance, but it's also the, the social justice warriors that are the NFL players. And I wish, uh, you know, I respect what they want to do off the field, but once you bring it into the game and you start, it starts affecting the game and the experience. That's just when I lose, I lose interest. Oh, interesting. No, th- thanks for call. I, I, I guess I, I find this to be kind of a fascinating conversation because I, I if I were to answer this question. I guess I, I mean I, I don't I'm not a season ticket holder, but I go to a couple games that normally we buy tickets on the secondary market. I, if I were to answer the question honestly, I would say I, I really I think I'm going to pass this year. But for me, it's mostly the fact that I, I think the experience is going to be so different. It, it's like 
the reasons I, I say that I, I, Key West is my happy place. I, I'm not going to Key West until it, it opens up and I can enjoy doing the things that I want to do. I love Las Vegas. I'm not going to Las Vegas until it gets closer to, to normal and I can go back and do the things I, I want to do. And I won't going to get sucked back into the mask debate. But, I mean, if if it's one of these rules, I, I understand why they put the rules in place, and, and that's fine. And I then get to make the decision about whether I want to go or not. I don't want to sit for three or four hours wearing the mask. Okay, that's, that's just a personal preference. And if the Packers put that in, that would be one of the factors. So I guess it's just... It's just that difference of experience, which is why I would have probably said, no, I'll, I'll wait till things get back to normal. To me, the, the anthem, I, I understand the, I, I understand, but that, that, that's kind of politics one way or the other. I guess that wouldn't stop me from attending the game. Might make me shake my head about certain things that are going on at the game, but it wouldn't stop me from attending. The other things might. Eric in Caledonia. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, I don't know what everybody else is talking about, but I'm not letting anything ruin football for me. <laughs> okay, so yeah. whether it's COVID or uh, national anthems and people kneeling, you know, I, I may think it's obnoxious. I may disagree with it, but You're uh, just yeah. like when this all started, people were saying, you know, I'm done with the NFL. I'm like, I'm not stopping watching the Packers. I've been doing that since I was little again. Right. So there's more tickets available. I'm going. You know, I can see the mask thing being a little irritating in the warm weather, but once you get into the later months, that might actually keep your pace warm. Yeah, no, right, th- right. Well, that that's true. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, the last couple of Packers games I went to, I've been effectively like I went to the Seattle playoff game and I had what do they call it, the balaclava, which so I, I was wearing the mask anyways. Uh, Mike in Marquette, Michigan says, Jeff, part of the Lambeau experience is cheering with seventy thousand plus fans in the stands and the electricity of the atmosphere. Factor in the COVID restrictions, the price of tickets, travel, food, and drink. It just doesn't seem worth it. I'd rather watch it from the comfort of my own home. That. I, I understand. Now, look, I don't know what the Packers are going to do. Um, I just, I think at some point in time, they're, they're going to have to face this issue of, first of all, is there going to be an NFL season? Can, can you do this? And if there is, if you can only open up the stadium to 10 or 15,000 people, is it, is all the effort that you have to go through to do that, is it worth it? And I think, you know, that's a decision that, um, I mean, they're going to end up having to make. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Before I forget, allow me a personal note here. A very good friend of mine, Joe. It's Joe's birthday today. Joe, um, incredibly successful career. Um, but before that, the thing that not only is he a good guy, but the thing that really impresses me is he is a Vietnam veteran, combat Vietnam War combat veteran, and the thing was he he enlisted, um, went to college, uh, and it was such a cool story about this is that um, he, for a variety of reasons, got out of college, low draft uh, by a high draft number. By that I mean he wasn't. He wasn't likely to be drafted, and he decided he was going to enlist and serve the country. And he could have, in all, um, he could have gone in as an officer, go to go through officer training school. He decided he wanted to go in as an enlisted man. And um, I just, I, I, every once in a while, he will favor me with some of the, the stories back then. And I'm just, I'm just so impressed. And my friend's Joe's birthday today, so um, happy birthday, buddy! All right, the timid politicians in this particular town are afraid or were afraid to ask the public what they thought about this. 
I am not a timid politician, and I am not afraid to ask you what you think of this. So if you live in Columbus, Wisconsin, you did not get a chance to weigh in on this. But everybody does now. Here is is the story. And, of course, we, we all know the background of this. You've had, over the course of the last several months, you've had the, this attack on on various statues. And, and for the last couple of years, it's been Confederate monuments. And now we, we've moved past Confederate monuments, and now we're tearing down the forward statue. And we want to remove the statues of Teddy Roosevelt. And we want to get rid of Mount Rushmore. And we want to pull George Washington's name off and, and Thomas Jefferson's name off of elementary schools in Wauwatosa, well, because. And we want to get rid of the Lincoln Monument the Memorial. We want to get rid of the Washington Monument. Um, all right. That that's that's what is now, I, I guess, passing for public dialogue. And here you have the story out of Columbus, Wisconsin. And we mentioned it briefly yesterday, but I didn't open up the phone lines. I, I will now. And, and by the way, in addition to giving you an opportunity to weigh in on this, which is something that the politicians didn't do up there, I'll tell you up front that I think this is one of the dumbest decisions by an elected board that I have seen in a long time. If this decision were any dumber, it would oink, and I apologize to swine. Here is the story. Let me read a portion of it to you as it's presented by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Leaders of a small Wisconsin city named after Christopher Columbus voted this week to remove a monument to Christopher Columbus. All right. The statue of Christopher Columbus has stood on the intersection of two highways in Columbus, Wisconsin. Columbus is in Columbia County, but it's kind of a satellite of Madison, 27 miles northeast of Madison. On Tuesday night, the Columbus Common Council voted 4-1 to to remove the statue from its location and to hide it, put it in storage, until officials can find a new home. All right, so what, what motivated this? What drove these politically correct politicians in a satellite community outside of Madison, 27 miles away, to act? Well, the removal comes after a 16-year-old, 16-year-old Columbus High School student, unhappy following the death of George Floyd, a black man who was killed by a white police officer. Okay, now of course. George Floyd has nothing to do with Christopher Columbus, but, I, you know, let, let's not confuse things. So the 16-year-old decides that, that she wants to start a petition, all right? And in she watches all these other statues being torn down and things like that, and she decides, okay, I want to go after Christopher Columbus. So she says, many of us are taught in school that Christopher Columbus was an heroic explorer who paved the way for Europeans to move to America. In reality, he was a terrible man who caused centuries of pain and suffering for Native Americans. At the hearing on Tuesday, one of the older, one of the residents said, we're in favor of keeping the statue because Columbus is and was a very decent, strong, pro-Native American person and is a hero. We have to be proud of that. If we go ahead and in a panic mode strike down everything like what's happening throughout the country, we'll be sorry later. All right, to which the, the um, response of the the gal that started all this, the 16-year-old is, well, um, you know, although we don't know if Columbus was responsible for atrocities that happened, he definitely set a precedent for how our country treated millions and millions of Native Americans. All right. 
So the aldermen vote by four to one to get rid of the statue. Um, one of the other, the only one who voted against it said, I'm not in favor of keeping it necessarily, but I, I think that we, we, we need to figure out where people are on this. He added, it was truly difficult to know the people's will on the matter. All right. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oh, by the way, did I mention this is Columbus, Wisconsin? <laughs> where, where they've got a statue of Christopher Columbus that has now been, been taken down. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I'm closing my eyes right at the moment. You, you have a town named after Columbus. You have a statue of Christopher Columbus on the main thoroughfares in the town named after Christopher Columbus. A 16-year-old starts a petition saying, oh, Christopher Columbus set the precedent for how we treated Native Americans. Let's take down the statue. I'm, I'm sorry. At some point in time, aren't I understand we live in a world of political correctness. I, I get it. I understand we live in this world where nobody's willing to stand up nowadays and say, this is just nuts. It's we're, we're not taking down the Washington Monument. We're not getting rid of Mount Rushmore. We're not getting rid of the Lincoln Memorial. And you know what? In a town named for Christopher Columbus, we're not going to be ashamed of the Columbus statue and take it down. Is that too much to ask? This idea of trying to purge history and try to, again, look at, at in this case, you know, one of the people who discovered America, all right, because, well, we don't like things that happened after the fact. We're now going to apply 2020 standards to, I don't know, somebody who lived, you know, in the, the 15th century. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the members of the Common Council in Columbus, Wisconsin, should be ashamed of themselves for deciding we're going to take down the statue that the name of the town is dedicated for. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text, Jeff. They need to change the name of the city of Madison because he was a slave owner. Oh, oh yeah. It, you know, that don't think that that might not be coming. I mean, for years and years, the, 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 every year the Republican Party gets together and they have what they call Lincoln Day dinners in all these different counties across the, the country. Um, for years and years, the, the Democrats did did the similar thing. Theirs were called Jefferson Jackson Day dinners, uh, named after Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson. All right, we we no longer have Jefferson Jackson Day dinners because they were they were both. They were both slave owners, and Andrew Jackson was also, in the minds of some, responsible for unjust persecution of Native Americans. So, right, we, we don't they don't have those anymore. So, even though the fa- now the founders of the modern Democratic Party, um, they, they're just we, we can't mention their names because, well, even though they founded the Democratic Party that we know, we we just we they own slaves, and so this this is just so awful that we have to apply our our twenty twenty standards to that. So, yeah, I. I, I don't understand, and I don't know how much longer Madison can continue to be Madison. Um, all right, let's talk to Kay in Madison, at least for the time being. Hi, Kay. 
I was going to say the same thing. I don't know if I can say that any longer. Yeah, I, I, I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty soon you're going to have to change all the signs, and you're probably going to have to get a new driver's license and all because it's not going to be Madison anymore. Yeah. It's going to be Fred. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had this similar conversation with people, and this has always been my thought. Removing a statue or removing something from a history book is not going to change what happened. And I've always looked at we are where we are today because of the things that happened, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, and we could be in a different place and say, what if World War II had ended up differently? What if Columbus didn't come to America? All of these happen things happened, and as humans, we should learn from them, yeah. but not try to erase them. And getting rid of a statue or a name is not going to make any difference in anything going on in the world today. Well, well right. And, and look, I will be the first to concede that, as with many historical figures, you know, Christopher Columbus and perhaps George Washington and Thomas Jefferson all have complicated histories that you view not only by our time and our standards now, but you view by the times that they lived in. And to your point, though, even acknowledging that, that doesn't mean that by 2020 standards, we now have to be embarrassed that you have a town named after Christopher Columbus and that you're going to take down a statue that recognizes the name of the person the town is named after. It's it's just, I'm sorry, Kay, it just drives me crazy, <laughs> I admit. <laughs> they, they, nope, exactly. They, they, I'm they, in no-name town, so, right, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they, they, thanks for the call, and, and, and call pretty soon from the town of Fred. That's it. I, I think we need to start a movement that we're no longer going to call Madison Madison because, again, James Madison had this tortured history as well, and, you know, we, we should... We we should just change the name. Maybe the, we can get some of some kids out in Madison to start that petition as well. I mean, you've got them. They want to take down. You've got some of the college kids that want to take down the statue of Abraham Lincoln on Bascom Hill. I mean, let's, let's again. I what, what are we going to call it if we're not going to call it Madison? I Fred. I, let's rename the city. We're going to call it Fred. Let's talk to Gianni, who's calling us from Montello, which is close to um, Fred. Hi, Gianni. <laughs> Hello? Oh, lost Gianni there. Um, you know, I just I just raised this issue. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, we got some text here. Um, Jeff, take the 16-year-old with all her wisdom. Um, 16 was middle-aged in 1492. Give her 1400 technology. Have her navigate across an ocean with no modem help. Land on ground where the locals may just kill her. And then ask if the statue should be removed. Um, uh, you know... It's just this idea that we we have to, again, judge American history and judge the people who participated in American history by our current standards without understanding that there is a complexity here. Just it, it is again, it's it's mind boggling to me, Jeff, if everyone with an opinion of removing something that they find, if, if everyone with an opinion got to remove things that they found offensive, there would be nothing left to look at, to which I would say, you know, I, I mean, a, amen. You can't you have the statue of Columbus by understanding at the same time, understanding and recognizing that. All right. It's a it is a complicated history and that Teddy Roosevelt's history was complicated and Abraham Lincoln's life was complicated, as was George Washington's, as was many of the founding fathers. But that means they're not worthy um they're not worthy of this. Uh, Jeff, in case you didn't know this, Madison is one of the most popular girls' names right now. Who's offended? 
Hey, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Um, I'm just saying maybe we just, if now th- th- I don't know where that name comes from, but if it's got any traces back to, you know, James Madison, maybe we have to, you know, take all the, the young ladies who've been named Madison and call them Fred as well. Um, it would, it's just, I guess it's just depressing to me that, that you see this type of stuff and, and that you see grown-ups and you see these politicians that are just caving into this on, on a, on a daily basis. And I, I just, I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day. They, they were asking me, where does it all end? And, and my answer is, I can't tell you where it ends, but it does end. There's always, there's a pendulum. And, and I've been around long enough to see that this pendulum and, and you have, all of a sudden, you know, people get all worked up about all these different things, and, and, and then the pendulum swings to the right. And then people get all worked up about stuff, and it swings way far to the left. And, and finally, people end up saying, okay, enough enough is enough. We're, we're not going to sanitize history. We're not going to get rid of statues of Abraham Lincoln. Now, it's, I don't know when you hit that point. And I don't know if we're close to hitting that point, given everything that's happened and given how fast stuff has happened over the course of, you know, the last couple months between, you know, the, the, the social justice protests and, you know, the under the backdrop of coronavirus and all that. But, I mean, you've got this pendulum that is swinging hard left and there is going to be a point in time. And again, I, I don't know when it's going to be and it might not be till two years from now might not be from two years from now, but it's going to swing back. And and people are going to, I think, at least in my opinion, come to their senses. And then, you know, maybe maybe it'll go start going too far in the other direction. But for everybody that, out, that is out there and just looks at the world and just shakes their head and goes, Man, my gosh, you know, has the whole world gone crazy? The answer is, well, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I opened up a can of worms. A number of people are texting me saying, you can't rename Madison Fred because there's all these Freds that have done offensive things over the course of American history, and we wouldn't want to honor that. So, okay, so we, we, we can't name the city after the fourth president of the United States, um, and, and we can't call it Fred. What should we call Madison? I, I, it, it's the only solution that's not going to offend people. No name city. So from now on, when K calls, it's K from No Name City, because Lord knows we don't want people to get upset about anything nowadays. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. No Name City, No Name City, nothing to do all year. Even Satan is hesitating to waste his time around here. Just existing, that's our listing in Webster's Almanac. Wanna live it up, give it up, I'm starting to crack. No name city. That's from Paint Your Wagon. That, that's that's where that comes from. And that, maybe maybe that's in Madison now. We're gonna get upset about the name James Madison. We're gonna get upset about Columbus. We we can't have things named after Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, that that pendulum is swinging really really far left. And I think at some point in time, real soon, you're going to have 
that that silent majority that that does kind of say, wait, this has gone too far. And it might not be in time for the November elections, but, you know, it it might be two years from now. And that's just the way cycles work. Speaking of cycles, uh, bad news out of Harley again. Um, Harley has been struggling in large part because the, the Harley riders are kind of aging out of this, and and, and Harley motorcycles are, are viewed by younger people as kind of being dad or grandpa's. It, dad, it's dad's motorcycle, or that's grandpa's motorcycle, and and so that's that's been the real challenge. On top of that, they're also pricey compared to other things. But but Harley's been trying to figure out how to reinvent itself, and, and what they did, I think it was earlier this year, they um, they ended up bringing in a, a guy who was. They they ended up bringing in a guy who um, was responsible for turning around the Puma sporting goods brand. And they brought him in and assigned him with the obligation, and he replaced the the CEO who had been at the company for 26 years. And they brought this guy in who had turned around the Puma sporting goods brand, and they said, okay, you're in charge of turning around motorcycles. And they, they got rid of the former CEO. Today they announced that they've gotten rid of their chief financial officer who'd been with them for for 17 years. The statement is that he has left the company, and you get the idea that they kind of gave him his box of future endeavors and walked him out the door. They've said that they're eliminating 700 jobs between now and the end of the year. 200 of the 700 positions are uh, are already vacant. They're not going to be filled. The remaining 500 will be eliminated by the end of the year. Worldwide, Harley has 6,000 employees um, the Pilgrim Road factory in Menominee Falls employs roughly a thousand people. They're not saying where the, these these cuts are going to come from, um, so you don't know whether it's going to be Milwaukee or you know some of the other places around. It's going to be York. It's going to be Tomahawk. But the bottom line is, you know, th- with this reduction, they're they're getting rid of more than ten percent of their workforce. Uh, they call the program Rewire. I you know. It, it's you hate to see this happening, and again, I I understand that, you know, what happens is brands fall into favor and then fall out of favor, and that people's interests and tastes change over time. And I I don't claim to have the answer. I know a few years ago Harley tried to kind of reinvent itself and go after the younger rider by you know get, getting into different kinds of, of of motorcycles and all, and and that really didn't take off. And it, it's just it, it's unfortunate because Harley is such an iconic brand and it's such an important. The company is so important to Milwaukee and to this this area that you hate to see them going through all this. And I don't know if the current CEO, again, I don't know if the strategies you use to turn around Puma, you know, work to turn around Harley. And if the strategy is strategy is that strategy is that let's cut um, let let's cut you know five hundred jobs and and that's what we're going to do to make work. I you, you kind of wonder. But in any event, you're, you hope they're able to succeed. But right now, not great news coming out of, of Harley and just a, a classic American iconic brand. It was part of, you know, one of the things that made Milwaukee famous, still makes Milwaukee famous. And I, I just think back on all the years of all the different, you know, all the different brands that we used to have here. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when we had actually three big-time breweries where you had Miller that was owned by Miller, and you had Paps that was owned by Paps, and you had Schlitz that was owned by Schlitz. Uh, you know, those days, of course, you know, gone. Paps, Schlitz, essentially, you know, gone as independent breweries. Miller now owned, it's by, you know, Molson or, or whatever. 
that the times change and uh, not particularly good for Harley right now. Okay, after COVID-19 and after coronavirus first hit, government got together, Republicans, Democrats, and the president got together, and they decided we need to send out stimulus checks to people. And so that is why many of you woke up one morning to find, oh, $1,200 in your bank account or maybe 2400 if if you're married. It was all based on, um, again, how much money you reported on your tax returns last year or if you hadn't filed for last year and, and two years ago. Um, uh, stimulus checks for about 1200 bucks went out to as many as 159 million Americans. I I know several people who got these stimulus checks and who quite candidly, were sort of embarrassed. I mean, they took the money. I mean, if the government's going to give you the money, you, you take it. But it was like, well, we really don't need the, this this money. We have all sorts of assets, and, you know, we're, we're not going to say no to $1,200, but we we just don't need it. And, and what was the thought process behind this? And the truth is, there wasn't that much thought process behind it. It was, let's try to get as much money as we can, and let's turn up the, the government printing presses, and let's get money into the hands of people. And for some people... It was a windfall for other people who, for example, had lost their jobs and unemployment hadn't kicked in or whatever. You know, it, it was a godsend. But it's still it's twelve hundred back bucks back from the government. Well, all right. We're, we're now several months into the covid-19 pandemic. Uh, the economy is coming back, but it's slow. There's still, you know, millions of Americans that are on unemployment, the federal stimulus bonus, the the extra $600 a week that people get, that's going to expire in the next week or two or three. So that's running out. And so now they're talking about, do we need to do another round of stimulus checks? Should we send out $1,200 more to all the people that got it several months ago? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Do, do we send out this money or not? My answer is sending out the money to all the people who got it three or four months ago would be crazy, just absolutely crazy, because a lot of the people that got it didn't need that money. Now, if there's a subset of that group that we feel really is in danger of going under and we need to crank up the government printing presses and we need to figure out a way to get some extra help to some people. I'm willing to have that discussion. But to do what we did several months ago in the same fashion, it's, it's unaffordable, it's unsustainable, and I think we have to just say no. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, there were one million stimulus checks given to deceased people. We received one from my mother who had passed on, and we sent it back. It hasn't been cashed for months. Um, you know, that, and again, I, I understand why we did this. We, we had coronavirus that hit, and, and it stunned people. And so the idea was, let's let's get as much money into people's hands as we possibly can. So let's crank out the printing presses and let's saddle future generations with decades of debt. All right, but but now that we've seen how this worked, 
The, the idea of just repeating it seems to me to be crazy because lots of people got that money. You, there's two questions. First of all, should we be sending out more money, period? And then secondly, should we be sending out money to people who got it already? And in many cases, the people who got it didn't need it. Now, again, I don't fault people for keeping it, but it was based on you know the, the amount of income you reported in a given year. It, it, you, I, I know people who are worth a lot of money. But because they're whether it was because of deductions and their businesses or, or whatever, or because they hadn't tapped into like IRAs or whatever, their their income was below whatever that threshold was. So they get this money and in all they don't need the money. It's not going to intended targets. They were glad to get it. God bless them. I, I understand that. But we can't repeat that, can we? Let's start with Nicole in Sheboygan. Nicole, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I think the stimulus checks really went to the, you know, I didn't think they helped anything. And I really think the extra $600 on unemployment actually ended up hurting the economy because people were actually making more money not working than when they were working. Yep. And it created a disincentive to, to go back to work. Sure. I mean, even the people that were working, why are we putting all this effort in if we're just going to end up getting screwed in the end? So I think really it's like... They should have left everything alone. Right. Well, thanks. Well, I mean, again, I and I, I, I want to be I want to be careful here because when we did it the first time, I was not critical of it because I, I like many people. All of a sudden, you have all these people that are just losing their jobs. The government has ordered shutdowns of of businesses and and businesses that weren't shut down by the government order. Nevertheless, they're they're just like the airline industry. Nobody's traveling. So, I mean, I understand why we did it, but we got to learn and recognize that what we did was not. The way to go about it. Here's a text, Jeff. I got a partial payment that I didn't need. I'm with you. There needs to be a more thoughtful analysis about how to provide additional payments. Maybe a hardship application of some time, some kind, but certainly not another blanket payment. We're already using money we don't have and we'll be paying for this for years. We have to protect the economy. Um, let's talk to Paul in Fond du Lac. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Do we just send out another 1200 bucks to everybody? So here's what I think. You know, I, I didn't get the stimulus check, and um, I didn't need it, so I guess I'm thankful I didn't get it on, on, one, on one respect. But um, I think if we're going to do something like this, we've got to be a lot more thoughtful and make sure we get it to the right people. A couple things. My sister, who just retired as a teacher, got her stimulus check. I said, hey, what'd you do with it? What'd you go stimulate the economy with and she stimulated her savings account no fault of hers right but that's not exactly what we're looking to do with this with the stimulus so i think if we're going to do it again we got to be much more thoughtful and just to touch on unemployment my daughter who's in college uh, filed for unemployment because she was a server and lost her job and um it's kind of kind of funny because i think uh she got a check from unemployment last week and said hey dad you know that money i owe you for fixing your car i can pay you back now <laughs> yeah. and um, she got much more than she ever uh, would have made yeah. as a server so oh. a couple thoughts oh no thanks well no and that, that is I mean, and that, as a matter of fact, I, I have talked to several people now who are telling me that the problem, they have, their businesses 
laid off people, furloughed people, whatever you want, and, and now they're starting to gear up, and, and they're they're telling me that at least for the moment, now this might change once that $600 extra every week goes away, but they're they're telling me, and it's more than just anecdotal, that they're calling some employees, and the employer's saying, hey, call, call somebody else. You know, you know, Jeff, I know you want me to come back, but... I'm making more than I made, and and I really don't want to lose those benefits. So you know, call call Harry. You know, ask ask Harry to come back. And that's because we've set up this like really weird thing where for some people you're you're in a situation where you're making more by by not working, or if you're if you're going back to work and you make as much or just a little bit more, why do you want to end up doing that? And again, this twelve hundred dollars, I think. I mean, I like the idea that of uh, that one of the texters had about if if we're going to consider doing this, we we have to completely revamp the way we we've done this in the past. Um, you know, maybe maybe the idea of uh, maybe some hardship stuff, you know, for for certain people, but you know, you just can't send that out, or you shouldn't at least send it out to all the same people, many of whom, again, put the money in their savings account because they didn't need it, or alternatively, you know, just didn't need it in the first place. Let's talk to Marcus on the north side. Hi, Marcus. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I, you know, I'm an avid listener of your show. You're coming from a totally different point of view, which is crossways today. My point of view is this. Talking from uh, individuals that are making less than $50,000 a year. I'm talking from that standpoint. Okay. The people that you're talking about that felt embarrassed about getting the check, first of all, you need to sign off on the back of the check and donate it to the Central City, first of all, or to the YMCA, okay, Boys and Girls Club, or to the Food Pantry, if you felt that embarrassed about the check. there are a, There's a lot of hardships of individuals, white as well, Mm-hmm. Caucasians, as you're told, that do not make more than $50,000 a year, okay? And I work with these individuals. So you're making a blanket statement on this station about, oh, well, we're in this such uh, demographics where $100,000 plus a year. A lot of individuals, even as white individuals, Okay, Mark. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Your Marcus, your your cell phone. I'm, and I, I don't. I'm, your cell phone was dropping out because I and I. I got to confess, I, I wasn't following what you were were saying. I, I this isn't. It's not a. It's not along racial lines. It, it's not along social economic socioeconomic lines. It. It's just my point is we cannot if we decide that we need to. Do more stimulus to further help people because of COVID-19. We need to be more discriminating in how we're going to dole out that money as opposed to just let's look at, at everybody's tax returns and anybody that uh, had $75,000 or less adjusted gross income, we're going to send them 1200 bucks. Because a lot of money went to not just dead people, but a lot of money went to people who, who didn't need that that money. And so if, if you want to argue that, hey, we've got, all right, we, we've got extra pockets of need and uh, that's caused as a result of, of COVID-19, as opposed to just a general, you know, we, we want to give taxpayer money to people as some sort of giant welfare program. If the idea is we want to help people that have been hit particularly hard by COVID-19, fine. You've got to come up with a better and more discriminating way of sending that money to those people than just simply let's send it 
it out to everybody. Now, again, I realize it's an election year and there is an appeal for politicians on both sides of the aisle and the president to, hey, I'm going to get you another 1200 bucks. All I'm saying is I think that would be wrong. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. This is Jeff Wagner.